0: Last month, just a few weeks ago, uh, introduced a topic based upon a book by Brad Bright called God is the Issue, and I want to continue that today to get a little bit more into the meat of, of uh, that whole issue. Uh, we talked about last time distinguishing between cause and effect in the culture war. and. We got how we've got to focus on curing the disease, rather than just simply treating the symptoms. Um, We talked about how thou shalt not simply can't compete with just do it in 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 what we what we deal with today. Uh, If there is no cultural God concept, um, as a church universal families and individuals, we have basically failed to impact our culture in a significant way. The result, of course, is rampant uh, indecency, uh, abortion addictions, recognition of homosexual unions, and entertainment media that pushes the envelope constantly. as Christians, we understandably fight against these maladies, uh, but we often fight alone in our own strength without even mentioning God because we are so afraid that we will lose credibility or we'll turn others off. So basically, God has been quarantined in our, in our debate. But I would suggest that by doing so, we are losing the war. In the Marine Corps, we had a BDA, a Battle Damage Assessment. And we went over this last time. Uh, According to George Barna, when asked, do you believe there is such a thing as absolute truth, a whopping 9% of born-again teenagers said yes. Uh, last week in the Young Life video, it said that 53% of teens believe that Jesus sinned. But don't worry, only 40% of born-again teenagers believe so. Uh, unfortunately, the Holy Spirit didn't fare so well in Barner's research. 68% do not believe He is real. And 53% believe that a born-again teens believe that all faiths, teach equally valid truths. The practical result of this theological backsliding among youth is highlighted in the Josephson Institute of Ethics 2002 report card, which reported that 78% of the students in religious schools believe it's okay to cheat on exams and 95% say it's fine to lie to their parents. Would anybody dare to argue that we're we're winning this battle with our own youth, much less our fellow Americans. Uh, well, Today we want to take a look at why this might be happening and suggest some course corrections. The first and probably the most important issue we want to talk about today is a lack of compassion. Often our hearts simply don't reflect God's heart when we focus on the symptoms rather than the cause. And frankly, it's natural to do so. Uh, God's word, without condoning it, recognizing recognizes it as a reality, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, Brad's book has numerous examples of pastors and other leaders uh, within Christendom, ...who have been harsh in their condemnation of unbelievers. When I came to this section, God reminded me that it's always better to use personal examples... uh, ...than it is to use somebody else's if you can. eh. While I resisted that, uh, unfortunately... I have some personal history to confess to you. Uh, I grew up in a basically Christian home, mainline church, and uh, had, as a result of that, not Christ but some moral foundation. Uh, the drugs came in while I was in high school. Finally, meet, reached the Midwest by you know the uh, the early 70s, uh, and I saw what it did to several of my friends and and reacted against it and i mean that was a good thing for me um boy when i got to college and the fraternity house it was all over the place and uh fought continuously it was a very unpleasant experience for me because because of those things even though i met christ in that same place uh, uh joining the marine corps didn't change my attitude much in fact um uh, uh, it, it made it even more so. I had to not only deal with some of the Marines who were involved with some of these things, but developed a whole new perspective on life um, and uh, the, uh, uh, just the, the, the things around us. In fact, all of you and me now, I considered to be slimy civilians at one time in my past. Uh, in essence, I became extremely judgmental Uh, because hippies and druggies or their current equivalent you know were were something that i that i really reacted against Uh, you know the long hair the body piercing you know we even had a thing in the marine corps where marines never put their hands in their pockets and i had problems with people who put their hands in their pockets Uh, clearly i did not have god's heart um, and frankly Mike and Kathy probably met me shortly after I was out of the Marine Corps. That's probably what they thought of me. I wouldn't, wouldn't blame them at all. Uh, I, and I say these things not as, not as excuse, but maybe so you'll kind of understand where I'm, I've come from. Uh, and I'm still coming from um, I, uh I set standards for myself, which are fine, but uh, at times have expected those same standards of others, uh, at least in my mind. So it's taken me a while to, to, to adjust and try to come back toward God's view. And he's still working on me in this area. I, I still desire God's best in my life, uh, at least in those areas that I've opened up to God in. Um, but even that, has caused me at times to look askew at others who don't seem to get it so pray for me i've sometimes caught myself thinking like the pharisee in luke 18 who went to the temple and sat down to the unbeliever and and prayed thank you god that i'm not like this wretched sinner before i realize what i'm thinking um it uh Again, I still believe we should always seek God's best in our lives. But I'm slowly learning that every person is at a different point, believer and unbeliever, a different point in their lives, in their walk. I suspect I may not be alone in some of those tendencies. Uh, Because what we see within the church at large is a dearth, a lack of compassion. Too many stories of Christians, sometimes well-known Christians, who've related condemnation for sin, for murder, adultery, prostitution, homosexuality, abortion, greed, lying, cursing, drug abuse, and drunkenness. Yeah, they're all sins, and we should hate the sins, but the problem is that we're dealing with people. And we tend to focus on behavior by condemning the symptom rather than confronting the underlying cause. Is it any wonder that many folks hate Christians? We reject people because they're sinners. Yet that's exactly why they need God's forgiveness, because they're sinners. Matthew 9, uh, when... The Pharisees said to Jesus' disciple, Why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Relating to that parable about the lost sheep, Jesus said... There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. And where did we all come from? Are we any different than the Corinthians uh, that Paul referred to when he said in, in 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. But, thankfully there's that but, you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ Christ and in the spirit of our God. Several years ago, I was involved with, with many others in, with the, the effort to get a constitutional amendment to define marriage on the ballot, and in the process, of course, in Topeka, you have to run the tightrope with the, the people out there at Westboro. Um, and so I was quoted in the newspaper, and I'm not sure, maybe on the on the news, and time somebody asked me for a statement, I'd say, I'm not saying anything for you to, to, to put in the news or in the, in the paper unless you make it clear I'm not standing with those people out there. And so some of the, my comments about them got into the media. Uh, and strangely, I got a call from a female attorney that I went to law school with, uh, who is of that, of that particular body, Um, And she said, you know, I remember you, you were the guy who had lots of kids and you were homeschooling, and I thought that, you know, somebody like that may have in their lifetime cracked a Bible. I said, well, I I try to, and and, uh, challenged me and basically said, don't you be too loose with what you say about God's chosen people in the newspaper. And essentially said, you know, brought up the passage that said, uh, and this is true. And Paul, Paul repeats it, says, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Okay? Hate is in the Bible. Can't deny it. Which apparently is the cornerstone of their ministry. And my response was, well, yeah, Paul, Paul did repeat that, but what do you do with what Paul said about the Corinthians? No response. That was the end of the conversation. Um, Paul even referred to himself in this regard when he said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service Even though I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost, Paul. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. You know, God has great compassion for all humanity. Jesus died for us all. Again, we've got to learn to distinguish between the cause and the effect. Jesus called the religious leaders of his day Whitewashed tombstones that are beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, full of dead men's bones. He was pretty upfront. He reminded us that the whole law and the prophets hang on two commandments love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what I love about scripture is we can't throw any of it out it all fits together it's the context the whole thing and finally in in 1 Corinthians 13 a passage you're all familiar with it says that I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but if I speak with the tongues of men and angels but do not have love I have I am simply a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal if I've left if I had the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but I have no love, it profits me nothing. Now, behavior always follows belief. There, therefore, we should focus on treating the cause having a heart for God in ourselves and in others, rather than a symptom, which is behavior or even appearance. And why? Is it because behavior and appearance are unimportant? Not hardly. Remember when um, Samuel was sent to Bethlehem to interview Jesse's sons to find a king to anoint to replace King Saul and he said or rather the Lord said to Samuel you shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do and you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you and then a little later it says when they entered he looked at Eliab and thought surely the Lord's anointed is before him I mean he, a man he had it figured out just by what he saw But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Therefore, it's pretty simple. We should always look at the heart, right? Can we? Verse 12. So he sent and brought him in, David. And now David was ruddy with the beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. What role did Samuel play in selecting David? Did he make any decisions? It seems to me like this was a no-brainer because God told him. In fact, all he had was, Eliab looked great, David looked great. Uh, A man, in fact, does judge the outward because in most cases, that's all man can see. You know, we just can't too often judge the inside. Appearances do make a difference. That's what people are going to judge us by. Some may be thinking, this is just that old marine talking now. But I would suggest to you that you all know this intuitively and you do it all the time. Uh, You know how publishers employ graphic artists to make the the most attractive cover for a book, even though we are never to judge a book by its cover. I was... uh, this came to me as I was on jury duty a few weeks ago. Yeah, I have to do it too. had to sit there for a couple of days before they booted me out. Um, and um, it was a criminal case. Um, and the prosecutor obviously had some witnesses that he thought might be a little bit offensive to, uh, to the jury. And part of the, the process of war dire, and some of you have probably been on jury duty and seen this happen, it's not only to weed out which ones you do or you don't want, you know, on the jury panel, but it's also to educate the jurors about what's going to be necessary, including, you know, don't trying not to judge people. And and his his witnesses, clearly by his questions, had lots of tattoos and ear or you know, body piercings, that sort of thing. And just by asking the questions, obviously he knows that it affects people. He said himself, it really, you know, sends me off the edge when I see those people. But you can understand how a person who does those things can tell the truth, can't you? You know, he had to basically convince people that he could, they could listen to these people uh, who were going to tell the truth. And as I heard, out, heard later, he lost his case. But uh, uh, I'm just saying that please don't kid yourself. It makes a difference. Even the most casual of dressers acknowledges this when you put on your best shoes for an important event or a guest. And if you're still not convinced and you simply want to be consistent, fine. The next time you're hungry and you really need a job, go ahead and wear your flip-flops and sagging jeans to the interview and see what happens. Uh, But it either takes God's discernment or long-standing familiarity to judge somebody's heart. Uh, Have you ever said, I can't judge your heart, brother? Well, that's true, because you don't know what's going on in anybody's heart. Now, you might be able to do it a little bit with your own kids or your own parents, but hardly with with many other people. What's the main point here? Uh, Is that we as Christians should expect others to judge us by our appearance and our behavior. At the same time, we should not. We should try to focus on the underlying cause uh, and not and try to overlook appearance and even behavior. We should expect unbelievers to act like unbelievers and instead focus on changing their heart. And it takes some Christian maturity to understand that appearance and behavior will follow the heart because appearance and behavior reflect the heart. Does that make sense? The next thing that I'd like to address here is another reason for our inability to affect the culture effectively, and that is pretty simple. We've already mentioned it some, is lack of boldness. Um, You know, put metaphorically, we spend a lot of time around the campfire singing kumbaya and not very much time, you know, standing up singing onward Christian soldiers. Uh, Frankly, most of us do little to even attempt to communicate with the culture because that's really the job for full-time Christian workers, right? Preachers and evangelists and other ministries. Well, our lack of boldness has caused us to fail to even talk about who God is. Have you ever had this thought that, you know, you know witnessing and evangelism is really a, it's a campus crusade thing? Or, you know, I don't have the gift of evangelism. You know, uh, I know I've had those thoughts. We really ought to take a look at the book of Acts. You know, when we, when we have those thoughts and see what happened there. When people were bold, when people lived it out, Brad Bright himself said he didn't—he doesn't really think that his dad, Bill Bright, had the gift of evangelism. Uh, but he knows that he had a heart of compassion and boldness. He would talk about God to people who called with the wrong number, <laughs> with taxi cab drivers, with uh, uh, CEOs and bag boys, and and flight attendants, and hotel maids, and doctors, and nurses, criminals, and lawyers, same thing, and politicians, and <laughs> anybody. And my, uh, my stepfather, Wald Hilmer, was much the same way. It was almost sometimes embarrassing, but he would talk about the Lord with anybody he came into contact with. And if we don't creatively engage the culture in a discussion about the foundation of our culture... How can we hope to change behavior or hearts? Um, This week, Christy and I went to see uh, Expelled, No Intelligence Allowed. Has anybody seen it? Wow. (laughs) Okay. Well, there are some good lines, you know. One of the best lines, I think, was Stephen Meyer said, Beware the sound of one hand clapping. I thought that was great. Uh, the, the 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 segment with the was the curator of this place where they used to exterminate, you know, uh, infirm people. That was chilling. He said, "Yes, the Nazis were very Darwinian, but who am I to judge what they did?" Ooh. But the climax, the climax, when he at the end when he was interviewing Richard Dawkins and said, tell me, where did we come from? Where did we come from? Well, Dawkins said, I think, you know, there must have been some alien in, in you know, superior intelligence that seeded life on Earth. And then he found out, found out he was in a little bit of a problem. And there must have been some previous superior intelligence that seeded that life. And, And uh, Ben Stein then says, you know, surprisingly, Richard Dawkins believes in intelligent design, but not certain types of intelligent design. I mean, he caught him dead in his tracks. And certainly, Ben Stein, a Jew, was not afraid to confront the head of the humanist movement and reveal his hypocrisy and his lack of a foundation. And I can't escape the conclusion that for myself, if I'm not willing to talk about the essence of of the foundation of morality, the source of all morality, I don't have any right to complain when the moral state of our nation disintegrates. Finally, we fail to uh, communicate with our culture simply because of of a lack of training and forethought. The reason we don't bring God into public and private discussions, or if we do, uh, we do so ineptly, is because we don't know how to communicate with God's love and forgiveness with non-Christians. we have our own language, our own lingo, if you will. And unfortunately, we use it in most of our conversations with words like grace and salvation and sinner and born again, and even the word Christian. And there's nothing wrong with those words, of course, but for the unbeliever, they they need a dictionary. Uh, Or Worse yet, um, those words already have a negative connotation to them. So our in-house language is not only unintelligible to the unbeliever, but it can make them feel like outsiders, like Mike mentioned this morning. The word Christian means something very specific to you and me, but to others, it might mean I was born in America, or I'm not a communist, or I believe in a God, and it, we just have to understand that when we start to talk to people. If if I want to speak to, you know, reach out to Hispanics, I might, like George Bush, say, uh, yo hablo espanol. <laughs> you know, I've I got to talk in terms they understand. Uh, if, if I want to communicate with a businessman, I might read the Wall Street Journal, and I might wear a conservative business suit. If I want to speak to children, I speak very simply with with a very, you know, one-syllable words or as much as possible, very, very rudimentarily. If we don't understand our audience, we're going to fail to communicate at best. At worst, we can come across as maybe stupid or unloving or mean-spirited, hateful or intolerant. You know, if you leave meat out of the fridge, eventually you're going to, You're going to have maggots and a pretty disgusting stench. So, why are we surprised? If a blind person bumps into me, am I offended? Um, When a person does not believe the Bible or does not understand who God is, why should I be surprised when he behaves as if there are no moral standards? He's simply acting in a way that's consistent with his very nature. Paul explains this in Romans 1. All people know intuitively that there's a God. They may not understand him. They may not understand who he is or what he is, but they all understand it. That's in their nature. But some turn their back on him and their foolish hearts are darkened. They replace God with their own image whether it's the literal images that sometimes in some of the religions uh, have, or it's something else. Maybe it's their home and their car or their position or their their wealth or their, their fame or whatever it might be. And they end up worshiping and serving the creature more than the creator. In the church, we confuse the symptom with the disease, the cause with the effect, and we condemn pagans for acting like pagans and instead of expecting him to act like a Christian, we first got to help affect a change in that person's God concept. And if successful, the outward behavior should naturally change over time to reflect that new belief. Now, it's true when any group or person acts in a way that's self-destructive or destructive at others, we naturally want to change that behavior. But if all we do is change the direction of the behavior, we're simply delaying the inevitable outcome, which is an eternity in hell. That's why ministries like uh, the Topeka Rescue Mission and Crisis uh, Pregnancy Centers uh, and Haiti Lifeline are much, much better, eternally better than government or private, spiritually neutral uh, counseling or giveaway programs. Both approaches affect the immediate need and the behavior, perhaps, but only the former deal with the long term consequences. It's interesting that in all of Paul's missionary journeys, he never once pleaded with the pagans to change their outward behavior. Rather, he sought to convince them of the identity of Jesus Christ as God. Behavior is symptomatic, it's a symptomatic reflection of our God belief. This is true in Christians as well as unbelievers. Attempting to change the behavior rather than the spirit of a wayward Christian is like trying to get an unbeliever to act like Christ. The same is true in the broader context of our culture. We have to find creative and winsome ways to inject God back into the bait if we have any hope of turning the tide of, of this cultural war. Perhaps the movie Expelled is one way to turn the cultural debate. I've got a feeling... That there may be even more effective ways in one on one relationships, and that is by serving and loving our neighbors selflessly and earning a hearing with them. In in Matthew 4, Jesus said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, are we true fishers, anglers, quietly and patiently? waiting for the fish to be attracted to our compassionate lifestyle lure and then intelligently engaging them with the truth in love at first bite? Or have we simply thrown out the line, propped up the pole, leaned back with our cooler filled with Christian libation at our side and, and cranked up the boom box Uh, an honest look at that question may reveal whether we are truly embracing and communicating God's heart to those around us. Father, thank you for uh, just the privilege to be here with these saints. But Lord, I pray that you would enable each one of us to understand how to communicate with those around us. To first show compassion, to earn a hearing with them, to develop the tools we need in how we speak to them, to be ready to answer questions when they come. Lord, I pray that you would work in each of our hearts and give us not only that compassion, but the boldness and the simple common sense and know-how to make you, again, the center of our culture and encourage others to follow. Lord, we give you praise and we thank you for our time now. And we pray that you would be with us as we lift up our praises to you. In Jesus' name, amen.